reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 14, and it can be found on the page 1093 in the Red Bibles. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other, other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. This is the word of the Lord. Disciples in the upper room, I want you to imagine how they're feeling and thinking because they've they've seen Jesus alive so they've seen the cross they've the resurrection they're sitting in an upper room they haven't gone on the mission that Jesus has called them to go to and as I was thinking about that this week I was thinking that's it's kind of a little bit different to what we've been taught I don't know how you grew up but there were some who kind of said well just the cross that's enough but more realistically, like if it's just the cross, then we've kind of solved atonement, but have, have we really kind of, like we need the resurrection. And so the resurrection is enough. But, but if the resurrection was enough, why, why are the disciples still in the upper room? And, and I think the clue to this actually comes from what Jesus has said a long way earlier. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 14, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. This other helper is the spirit of truth. The world can't receive him because he doesn't see him or know him, but you know him because he lives within you and will be with you. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and, and bring power. And so the disciples are in the upper room and, and they're needing the Holy Spirit to fuel the mission of the church. You, you might remember I've spoken about Peter who in the resurrection narratives is restored from this timid person who rejected Jesus and, and was in hiding. He's restored into a life-giving relationship with Jesus. But here on the day of Pentecost, when he receives the power of the Holy Spirit, this timid disciple who kept getting things wrong, preaches the gospel to the whole crowd and 3,000 people get baptised that day. I think this reminds us of why we, sometimes in our world today, we use the gospel as this sort of code for something and we don't really unpack it. But the, but the cross represents atonement. And sometimes we focus so much on atonement theology and it's important, but it's not the totality of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. 
The resurrection is important and it's the, the foundation of our faith because it teaches us about salvation, it teaches us about Jesus as the victor over evil and therefore we have a solid foundation for our faith. The ascension which is at the top of that window reminds us that Jesus reigns as victorious King so that the stained glass behind us actually represents the whole life, death and resurrection of Jesus. But as I was looking for our stained glass on the Holy Spirit this week, I was left wanting. In fairness to the stained glass window artist, maybe the Holy Spirit's hard to represent. But if we could add the Holy Spirit to that window there, and, and maybe an artist who can tell me that the Holy Spirit is represented there can correct me after the service. But that would be the totality of the Gospel. It's not just the cross, it's not just the incarnation, it's not just the ascension, it's not just the resurrection, it's not just the coming of the Holy Spirit. The totality of that is the Gospel that we put our faith. We need the whole lot of it in order for the church to be the church. You see, the church can't just rely on atonement theology. We've tried that, believe me. People have done that, people have just tried to engage intellectual knowledge about atonement theology and it hasn't worked. And yet, people who have no theology degrees putting their total faith and trust in the Gospel, empowered by the Holy Spirit, have transformed the world. Peter doesn't have a theology degree. On the day where he preaches the Gospel to 3,000 people who get converted, I'm not sure he understood what atonement theology. The Holy Spirit is the fuel for the church. No doubt the early church needed the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Unlike Jesus, who could walk with the disciples and, and, and could go with them and, and support them, the problem is that, that Jesus could only be in one place at one time, just putting aside his resurrected body for a minute. But in, in his ministry with the disciples where he was forming them, he, he could only be with them in one place at one time. Jesus knew that that would be limiting as the church starts to spread around the world. So already in John 14, he's promising that there'll be someone that as they spread around the world to share the gospel, there'll be someone who will be with them as they go. And, and that can't be a physical person, that has to be a Holy Spirit, a spirit that lives within each person. So the Holy Spirit fuels the church as they go out on this mission to share the gospel of Jesus, the life, death, resurrection, ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost as they go to share that whole gospel story, it's the Holy Spirit that fuels the church. I think we need the Holy Spirit to fuel the church. I remember being in, um, I remember being in a church in London and someone just calmly said, Jesus wants his church back. We've had enough of humans trying to grind it out. We need the Holy Spirit to fuel the church. But don't worry, if we study history of the church, the Holy Spirit fuels the church in every season. When we're at, at, at Royal Albert Hall, Mark Sayers said, when, when society starts to write the eulogy of the church, that's when the Holy Spirit births a new. When society, secular society says, finally the church is dead, and, and some of you might even remember when Time Magazine had God is dead on the cover, and I, I can't remember the dates, but it was probably within a year that they had the Jesus revolution on the front cover. You see, whenever secular society wants to put the church to bed, to death, the Holy Spirit shows up and brings... I think it's obvious that the church can't revive itself in its own. Just like on the day of Pentecost, we need the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that fuels the church. It fuels the life of the church, it fuels the growth of the church, 
It fuels the health of the church. It fuels the mission. We can't rely on our own efforts. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and <laughs> I need that too. I, I, as the vicar here, I, I need the Holy Spirit. I was in a national um, e-gathering yesterday and we had a, a, a talk from a lady called Jill Weber who's in the prayer movement. And, and she challenged us. She said, actually, Christians need to work smarter. And I don't know whether you've heard that term in product, but she said, you need to work smarter. God wants to build his church. He said he would do it. And we're trying to do it in our own effort. We need to work smarter, which is hand over the building of God's church to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. But notice another key part of this passage. It, it's, it's the idea that the Holy Spirit blesses unity. As I was preparing for this, it really struck me that at the start of this passage, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They were all in the upper room. It, it, notice it doesn't say they were all in one place in total agreement with their theological position. They were just all together. So imagine those disciples in the upper room. I think some of them are slightly fearful. I, I think some of them are, are, are timid and don't know what to do next. I, I think some of them are, are expecting that when Jesus said, go and wait, that they're doing what he told them and they're expecting something, but they don't know what they're expecting. I'm not sure, and, and it doesn't tell us in the scriptures here, but I'm not sure that any of them thought that they would see a little tongue of fire above their head. But the Holy Spirit comes because they're together. The Holy Spirit comes because of their unity. The Holy Spirit comes because of their desire, because that's what they needed to go and fuel the church. I think it's very symbolic that, that they say that the upper room, they had locked themselves in the upper room. The Holy Spirit didn't need an open door physically in the building, but the Holy Spirit did need open hearts. If their hearts were locked off, I don't think the Holy Spirit could come in. The Holy Spirit needed the open hearts and minds of the disciples. And I think the Holy Spirit blessed their youth. I wonder whether you've had an upper room experience like that, where, where there's been an overwhelming sense of unity and the Holy Spirit has blessed you. I'll keep talking about it. We had our own upper room experience in the UK. We're in the Royal Albert Hall in London and God showed up in a mighty profound way. And I think God showed up in a mighty profound way the unity that was present. We had Anglican bishops there. But when I say Anglican bishops, I mean we had an African bishop in full purple who's really kind of charismatic and effervescent. And then we had Archbishop Rowan Williams, like the other end of the scale, very intellectual and like a brain that is amazing and blessed the church with it. We had Catholic nuns there. We, again, we even had a Catholic nun in probably the most conservative habit. And then we had a nun who... Um, elected um, the, the, the papal synod and she was just there in a plane. We had a Chinese scientist who was a former atheist and now a Christian. We had a North Korean political prisoner who had been tortured for her faith. There were reformed gangsters there, there were reformed drug dealers. Churches of Christ were represented, Baptists, Pentecostals, Methodists, Orthodox. Every denomination you could think of was represented there and everybody Everybody could worship. You see, there's unity in the name of... And when there's unity in the name of Jesus, God shows up and blesses the room. No doubt there were differences, even between the two Anglican archbishops. But there were differences in the upper room, weren't there? Because there were the women who stood at the cross and the men who weren't at the cross. The people who had stood by Jesus betrayed Jesus, or at least abandoned. There were debates in the early church, and I suppose they remind all of us that there are debates in the church. But when the church centres on unity in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God blesses the church. 
So if we can come together in our day under Jesus, then God will bless us with his presence. You see, God wants to be with his church. God wants to be with his... Right throughout the Old Testament, God blessed his people. Then we go into the New Testament and God blesses his people with his presence through the Holy Spirit. And all of the letters and all of the Acts of the Apostles are signs of how God blesses his people with his presence, which naturally poses the question, how do we get God's presence? How do we know and get the Holy Spirit? I think fundamentally what I'm seeing and hearing and, and hearing from a number of churches around the world is that it begins with it begins with openness. And I think that's what we saw in the upper room. They were open to what God would do next. But I think there's also a hunger in prayer because people realize that they can't do it in their own effort and they need God to move. And so they're praying earnestly that God will and I think there's a God's presence shows up when there's not sameness not turning a blind eye to difference, but not splitting the church over those differences. And I think if the church can come in unity, New Testament unity, I think we'll see another soft presence. But what's the outcome of God's presence? What's the outcome look like when we have God's presence? What does it even mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? When we're saying that prayer, come Holy Spirit, what does that even mean? Again, what I think we're, we're seeing across the world, a repentance that doesn't lead to guilt, that doesn't lead to shame, but a repentance that leads to joy, leads to peace. And there are churches right across the world where young people, a new generation, are coming to God, repenting of things, but they're not leaving full of guilt and shame. They're actually leaving up with joy and peace. They're also leaving with a desire to share it with others. If you want to know a church that's on fire with the Holy Spirit, You'll see it because there's an overwhelming desire to share it with others. And I don't want to I don't want to call in the church, but if you look at a church and they're just looking inward and they're not sharing it, I think it's a sign that they don't have the Holy Spirit. Because when people are full of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, they don't want to keep it to themselves. It's something that they can't help but share with other people. And what we're also seeing is that when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a desire to worship God and to keep coming back in prayer so they can experience more of his presence. God's presence seems to be, the, and I had that yesterday. Yesterday wasn't a day for me, and, and most of yesterday for me was just a desire to be in God. I wonder if that's your desire too. And, it, and if it is, it sounds so simple. A, a prayer that people have prayed for generations, come Holy Spirit. It's such a simple prayer but it's so transformative because it invites God's presence. When we celebrate communion, it's actually going to ask us to come up here and receive. Don't worry, I'm not reading, but I was thinking about it for a hundred years because it's a kind of symbolic act of openness. So when you come and receive communion, you don't have to come up and meet, but I just wanted to invite you to come and take the same journey that generation. And as you walk up the centre and up through this space, it's not the Holy of Holies. It's not some special place, but I just want you to walk the path that other Christians walk. And as you walk it, just say, Lord, would you come and bless this? Like you've and then as you receive the, the, the pray that prayer. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, remember God's presence is in God's desires.